there. I'm your host, Leslie Randolph. I'm a self-confidence coach for teenage girls and the self-confidence coach you wish you had as a teen. Honestly, I'm the self-confidence coach I wish I had as a teen because I know I could have saved myself and my mother a whole lot of heartache if I'd only known then what I know now. I hope to save you some of that suffering by sharing the lessons I learned late in life right here on Why Didn't They Tell Us. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, happy people. Welcome back to Why Didn't They Tell Us. Y'all, I am thrilled to be back in a room with you. And I know you don't often all see me, you hear me, but maybe you notice my sound quality is even better because I'm coming to you today live from uh, Dayhouse Coworking in Highland Park, my new summer digs, as well as the sponsor of today's episode. So if you work from home like I do, you know it can get both distracting and isolating. So picture yourself entering a stylish, serene space where you can leave behind the distractions and the dishes from home (laughs) and discover your laser-sharp focus. Uh, And here's also a a big bonus of Day House. It has a strong community, and you're going to be surrounded by friendly faces, including mine. Uh, And everyone's here to support you. It's parent-friendly. It's mom-owned. It's the ultimate solution if you're tired of going it alone and want a change of scenery. So you can visit Dayhouse Coworking to learn more and uh, come book a tour and a trial and spend your summer with me. Um, But in addition to that, as a reason to be excited, I am really excited about today's guest. Uh, (laughs) As you know, all roads lead to self-confidence over here on Why Didn't They Tell Us? And today's incredible guest speaks to the topic through a lens so many women share, and one that I know all too well. Body image, weight, and self-worth. In the wake of the pandemic, there has been a significant uh, rise in eating disorders, particularly among adolescent girls. Um, One study I found noted that one in five women experienced an eating disorder by the age of 40, and in 95% of those cases, the disorder begins before the age of 25. And uh, I, I'm I'm part of this statistic. As a teen and well into my adulthood, I equated my worth with my weight. And I thought, as soon as I'm skinny, then I will feel self-confident. And I took drastic measures um, to chase this misguided belief. So if you or your daughter can relate to this struggle, today's show and my amazing guest can help. Dr. Lisa Folden is a licensed physical therapist behavior change specialist, and anti-diet health coach. As a private practice owner, wife, and mom of three, Dr. Folden understands the complex demands and pressures associated with motherhood and womanhood. Through physical therapy, as well as health and body image coaching, from an anti-diet perspective, Dr. Folden is a one-stop shop and source for healing and growing. Dr. Lisa, welcome to the show. That was so nice. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and I love what you're doing. Oh, well, clearly I love what you're (laughs) doing. I was telling Dr. Lisa yesterday, um, she is the reason that social media should have a good reputation. If you follow feeds like hers, you, you will feel good. If your daughter is following feeds like her, you'll be like, okay, more screen time is okay. Um, so it's it's a mutual admiration over here. So I gave a brief bio 
um, which is obviously incredible of everything you do and have done. But why don't you tell everyone who you are in your own words and and why you do what you do? Absolutely. Thank you. So, you know, physical therapy was always a passion of mine. I I discovered it at like age 16 on the brand new internet, right? I'm dating myself. I'll be 42 this year. So I was always into health and fitness. My dad was a professional bodybuilder. He actually took home the title of Mr. Michigan in 1989. So that's what I grew up around, right? So very competitive, wow. <laughs> very, very aesthetic based, right? It's very much based on what your body looked like. <laughs> and um, that was the norm for me. And that is what I equated to health and fitness. I was trained in uh, the US, in Michigan. And uh, my understanding of health was one thing, you know, weight, <laughs> weight was the primary determinant of your health and overall satisfaction in life, honestly. Um, and I credit that you mentioned that in the intro, I credit that to amazing dieting, uh, diet culture marketers, people who market for these diet companies, they really do make you believe mm-hmm. that the best part of your life is on the other side of that scale. Like when you get to that goal weight. So I grew up under that and I worked as a therapist and told many people in large bodies, if you just lose a little weight, it might help the joint pain. And so I had to deal with all of that. But about five or six years ago, I started to make the shift um, to toward a health at every size lifestyle. And it came from my personal struggles with weight loss and body image after having three children and just growing up in this society and seeing you know, what we see on TV and social media. Um, and when I made the shift, it was the most rewarding experience ever and the most liberating experience ever to stop worrying about my weight and the way my body looked and the way it was perceived to, to others. Uh, and I just I couldn't I couldn't hold it in. So it became what I did in my practice. So now not, I'm not just a physical therapist. I'm a weight inclusive physical therapist, meaning when you come to my practice, if you're in a large body, there will be a comfortable place for you to sit. We will have equipment that is accessible for your body. You will not feel shamed in your body size. You won't be told to lose weight to make your joint pain go away. You know, and then I uh, added on, I was always doing health and wellness coaching, right? But it used to be focused on weight loss. So I can do that. And now I've helped people improve their body image and improve their health without the toxic influence of diet culture. So we don't do physical health above all things. We're talking mental health, emotional health, (laughs) spiritual health, and managing the parts of us because we're more than a body. And so that's what I get to do every single day. And it is so fulfilling. And in addition to treating people one-on-one and in small groups and, you know, doing therapy, I get to come on podcasts and do speaking engagements and talk about this work. So honestly, I, as it relates to my career and creating the life that I want, I am literally living the dream. So that's, that's part of why I do it. And also to help as many people as possible, but I absolutely love this stuff. Oh, and we're so grateful that you do because it's just, like I said, it's joy to follow you. And I just think that you're, you're, you're just spearheading a movement that is so necessary, um, for our young girls, for our young people, for, for everybody. Um, and including, you know, I often say I'm a a confidence coach for teenage girls and the teen that still exists in all of us, because if we don't get messages like this, when we're young, Mm -hmm. We're then doing a reprogramming of our minds Absolutely. later in mm-hmm. life. Re- reparenting. Um, That's and what so, we're doing all day. Yeah. <laughs> Finding that inner child, yeah. giving her a hug and telling her she's worthy. That is such important work. So that's why I love what you do because this is this is so necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Mutual. So 
as you can see, both of us spent our lives, you know, chasing this, this, uh, suggested healthy, and I am air quoting healthy body type, AKA be skinny or be built, Mm -hmm. um, in a certain way. Um, but I do see this trend, not just um, among you and me, but that of people trying to break free from the diet culture. Are you, do you think this is a new thing? Like, how did this happen? I'm, <laughs> I, I'm curious. Um, so it's new in the sense that starting to get some mainstream attention. Absolutely. I think the anti-diet movement, if I'm not mistaken from, from my studies and my reading started in the 1970s, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Um, but it's, it's been around and it, it started because of some really smart, bad ass people who were like, I'm going to go against the grain here. And they weren't just like smart. They were scientists. <laughs> they were people who were like, hold on, this doesn't make sense. You know, so people, it was people who was willing to, who were willing to uh, challenge the status quo and say like, something isn't making sense. Some of the things that have happened historically as it relates to, and I'm just going to speak for the U.S., but this is kind of everywhere. Some of the specific things that have happened in the U.S. related to uh, suggestions on body size, body weight, body comp- composition, uh, BMI, all of that. If you dig into how these things came to be, there's almost always a money grab concerned, right? It's never like, mm. okay, let's see what we can do as health standards to make people healthy. Or maybe it starts there, but somebody's pockets are getting lined. So when we talk about the BMI scale in itself just being trash, you know, created in the 1800s by a Belgian mathematician who was looking just to see changes in the population of these these men, these white men. So if you're not a man, if you're not white, like you, you weren't even included in the scale for BMI. Somehow insurance companies adopted this scale and made it a way to create a hierarchy among insurance premiums. And so even to this very day, if you go to the doctor and you are in a, a larger body and you can be uh, prescribed a certain BMI and get the medical diagnosis now of obesity, you can be charged more for things. Um, there can be more coverage for weight loss medications and different things. And it all goes back to money and insurance companies and capitalism and racism and all the isms. <laughs> so, so someone, <laughs> so there were some very smart people who saw this and and identified like, this is not actually about health. We're, we're doing something different here. And so they were able to really get into the science. And since then, so much research has been done to show that weight centric health standards do not work. When you focus on a person's weight and you say, reach this weight and you'll be healthy, they are going to engage in behaviors that are not healthy, i.e. disordered eating and exercise patterns. And they are going to do things that should not be done in the name of weight loss. Most of them, like 97%, will never lose the weight or will lose weight and gain more back and then deal with the physical components of that, slow metabolism, creating disease in their bodies. And then the 3% that perhaps lose the weight and maybe keep it off for one to three years, that number just continues to dwindle. And oftentimes those people are doing disordered things in order to maintain that weight loss. So the research is clear what we know about diets, what we know about our health system in general and how it stigmatizes people in large bodies for no reason at all. You can have someone in a large body who has no medical conditions, no issues, but simply are being pathologized because they're in a larger body. It doesn't make sense. 
any disease that a person in a large body can get, a person in a small body can get. So being in a large body in itself is not a disease and it is not wrong. So the people who fought against this, you know, I credit them for writing the books that I was able to read and learn. <laughs> um, but yes, it's new in the sense that mainstream is starting to get a hold of it. Um, but it is, it's been around for a while and it's just been some brave souls out there standing by themselves in many cases, preaching against, you know, what we have known to be traditional health, fitness, wellness, you know, in this country. So that was long winded. Sorry, but <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I'm sitting over here <laughs> nodding and it's not just health. I mean, 100%. Yes, there, there is the health yeah. component, mm -hmm. right? And that I love <laughs> that. And that it's trash. Right. And we know this to be true. I, I have heard Dr. Lisa speak on this, you know, oftentimes if, you know, we just equate mm -hmm. skinny with good and healthy, fat with bad and yep. unhealthy. But we know we know that in so many ways isn't true. And especially if you think of someone who is sick, you know, if you think of someone who's struggling with illness mm -hmm. and they have a skinny mm -hmm. body, we know we know that doesn't work. And we also, exactly to that point, someone in a larger body, if their blood work says that they're healthy, if they're if all their tests show that they're healthy and you're just judging by the weight, I mean we're it's a broken 100%. system. Um, and and it also then jacks with our self-esteem and our body yeah. image. Because we can no longer look at ourselves in the mirror. And unless we fit this cookie cutter, teeny tiny mm -hmm. box, that makes me then bad and not good or yep. good enough. And that's, that's two part because some of the issue is we talk about health. It's a separate conversation. Health is great to aspire to, but people have created uh, like a morality around health. <laughs> so if you're not healthy, <laughs> you know, and health is black and white as opposed to existing on a spectrum, right? If you're not healthy, then you've made bad decisions. You are to blame for anything that's happened, any disease you have. And so people in larger bodies get stigmatized more by that because it's easy to say, oh, you're in a large body, you probably eat really bad food. So if you're sick, it's your fault. And that is, you know, without saying it that directly, although some people do, that is the message that we get in society. And even from our medical community and our, our medical professionals, people who we revere and listen to, right? So this idea you know, what I try to do, especially when we're talking about body image, is separate this idea of health from morality. You can be working on your health or guess what? You cannot be working on your health because you may have something far more pressing happening in your life in that moment. And you have, get the space and the autonomy to figure that out for yourself. But whether you are healthy or not or closer to healthy or closer to unhealthy or not, you are still a human who is deserving of kindness and respect and good, competent, quality care. Period. <laughs> so we have to begin to separate the two because we will all experience times of lesser health in our lives. It is you will not live long if you don't experience an injury, a medical condition, you know, an accident like things happen. <laughs> things are genetic. Things are environmental. Some things happen. Some things we choose, you know, accidentally. But it is what it is. You will experience times where your health is less than it is right now, better than it is right now. And that doesn't change your value as a human. And what I try to help my clients understand is that doesn't change the worth of your body or the worth of you as an, as an individual. So getting out of this idea that health means I'm better and less health mean, means I'm worse. No, you are. It's all neutral <laughs> and it's all going to change over the course of our lives. 
Oh, that's so good. I've never even thought about it that way. And you've just kind of like, oh, yeah, no, I absolutely do that. And I still do that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> healthy is this yes. achievement that I, oh, I've done, again, I've done good. <laughs> I'm doing, I'm it, doing right. it right. My brain loves to tell, and believe me, my, I always tell people, my brain's favorite line is you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're doing it wrong. And so I, you know, I, I love it when I can <laughs> believe that, but I, and I love that. It just makes so yeah. much more space and it opens up. 100% mm-hmm. for that kindness and that empathy and compassion for Absolutely. ourselves as well. And and, and we, we all deserve that. Um so I have I've followed your journey uh not obviously to your extent but um you know, I just was tired of hating yeah. my body and hating, you know, and you know I I think about so many people who who share this struggle having so much of my precious brain space dedicated to what I looked like, what I weighed and what I was going to eat and what I was going to eat next. (laughs) Um, But I think a big piece, (laughs) yes, anyway, y'all are nodding if you've been Mm -hmm. there. Um, But I think a big motivation for motivation for me was becoming a mother and um, thinking, I don't want to give my children Mm -hmm my body and my eating issues. Um, and I just want to protect them yeah. from some of that. And I think there are a lot of moms in the same boat as me that an unintended consequence yeah. of that is that we end up putting we it do. on them. So what, what are, what are some of the ways that we're unintentionally bringing, I, I wrote it down as our, our body image <laughs> yeah. baggage into our yeah. parenting? You know, that that is tough, right? Because here's the thing, especially as mothers, and and this is no knock to fathers or anyone else, but I know as a mother and and engaging in community with so many mothers, we are all trying our very best. Like none of us have it all figured out. It's in the same ways, you know, we can't keep chasing this perfect body that doesn't exist. We'll never be perfect mothers because that doesn't even exist, right? <laughs> we are doing our very best. So I like for moms, especially to start with that space of compassion and empathy and kindness, like you said, to ourselves as mothers. Um, something that we give freely to other people, but we often withhold from ourselves. So starting there and recognizing no matter what I do, there's going to be a negative consequence that I'm not prepared for or that I am not intending upon. And that's okay <laughs> because guess what? The kids will still be fine. They'll get there. And it's just a part of our journey and their journey. But I, in working with adult women often, you know, I hear horrible, horrible stories, you know, um, of parents who have, you know, said awful things to them, awful things, um, called names, you know, put them into camps and things to lose weight, put them on diet medication, shamed them publicly. I have heard it all. And what I can say is for most of the people that I'm in community with, it's never that bad, right? What we often do is very unintentional. Um, Oftentimes we won't comment on our children's bodies directly, but they hear us commenting on ours. Sometimes we don't verbalize what we want to say. Maybe we do. I don't like this on me or whatever, but oftentimes it's in our actions. They see us getting out of the camera, they see us avoiding the mirror. That's a huge one. Even before I was doing this work as a physical therapist, my, my clinic has always had a mirror in it and I use it for feedback so people can do their exercises and see that they're doing them correctly. And I have had clients turn their head to the side. 
they cannot look at themselves. Okay. It's that challenging. They are that uncomfortable in their bodies that they don't want to see them. They say things to me like, I don't recognize my body. I don't know why I don't, that doesn't look like me because they, they just have a poor relationship with that, with that body image. So oftentimes our children are picking up on the subtle things that we do. Um, if it's as simple as like, you know, holding our stomach in and turning to the side or trying to reposition, um, sometimes it's things that we consider, you know, like normal, like in flattering, right? Like, oh, I took a picture. Oh no, you can see my double chin. Retake that. It's the little things that they see and they automatically, if you are saying, I took a picture of myself and you can see a role that does exist on my body, but I don't want that seen. So I need to switch my angle, pull up, turn. Then the child is interpreting that as, oh, fat rolls, that must be bad or uh, not attractive or being fat must be bad. So they get these messages, even though we don't ever directly say being fat is bad, don't get fat. <laughs> you know, most most moms, I think most of us have right. awareness now where we try not to say things that blatantly fat phobic. But the reality is fat phobia and weight stigma exists in every one of us because we grew up here. <laughs> and that's what the world shows us. Television shows us that if you're in the large body, you're not going to be the lead actress. You're going to be the funny fat friend. You know, magazines show us that fat bodies on magazines are simply for before pictures and the thin bodies are for after. Those are the ones to be praised. So even if you are doing your very best and giving your child all the best messaging, they're going to see this in the world. But we do we do proliferate. We do uh, continue that message in the small things that we do, you know, just in our house and around the way they they see it. And maybe they don't notice it in the moment. Oh, but those thoughts are there. Those reminders are there as they start to deal with their own body image. And it's really hard. Like I said, you'll never be perfect. You'll never figure out every little thing. I think the biggest point, though, is to be open minded, to consider where you may have had some influence and to start having really tough, uncomfortable conversations because that's where the learning takes place. And you don't have all the answers and that's OK. I don't either. <laughs> but. I try to remind my children, even though I didn't start this journey until all three of my kids were born. So the first few years of their lives was standard weight stigma, fat phobia, all of that stuff, my body image issues, all of that. Now I just try to have the conversations. I try to remind them like, hey, listen, people are supposed to exist in all different body types. I've been writing children's books about it and including them on in the conversations, you know, so they can see like, huh, or, you know, Using learning opportunities when a kid comes home and says like, so-and-so called me fat. And it's like, okay, let's just, let's, let's explore that. How did that make you feel? What do you think about being fat? Do you think that's a bad thing? I'm trying to get my kids to understand, even though someone may be saying it to be rude or insensitive, fat is just a descriptive word. It doesn't mean anything bad. You know, we grew up in a time where it's like, you're so fat. Oh no, you're not fat. You're beautiful. As if they can't coexist. <laughs> right. So getting them to, to see things from a different way and then seeing where they're coming from, because they're a whole different generation and, you know, they see and understand things that I never did at their age. So, um, you know, so it's a lot, there's a lot of subtle things that we do conversations we have, they may overhear us talking about another person's body or commenting on the change in people's bodies. That's a big one that moms do. Uh, you know, oh, so-and-so's gotten mm. so big. They can tell from your facial expression that that must be a negative thing, you know, and then when they go off to college and come home and their bodies have changed and people want to comment, you know, so it's, it's, it's a, there's a plethora of ways that we 
you know, participate in this and we put that baggage onto our children, but we can, we can undo the damage. It, it just takes more awareness, a lot of unlearning and a lot of uncomfortable conversations. I'm, I'm going off script because I think that <laughs> you've just said so much that resonates so much with me. And I, I am aware it is a default. When I look in the mirror, Dr. Lisa, I feel so, I feel so seen and naked <laughs> right now in front of you because I look in the mirror and then I turn to the yeah. side. 1000%. I mean, that is such a programmed mm-hmm. behavior. And it just, so as you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. But so can you just give us some some starting points for some of those uncomfortable mm-hmm. conversations? I mm-hmm. love what you just gave me. This is a great one of, mom, mm-hmm. someone called me fat at school. Um, but I, I guess in my head, and I, and I know this might be an impossible of yeah. even before it, how can I be proactive mm-hmm. before it? Um, of just to, to get body positivity and love and, you know, a, a very healthy body image mentality yeah. in, in our house. That's a great question. And it's, so it's different for everybody, right? Cause we're all at different points, but some of the biggest things that we can do or what I tell people, things we can say are really the things that we don't say <laughs> like that. Sometimes it's shutting up. Like we for whatever reason, have this tendency to comment on things that don't require our, our comment. I saw this social media post years ago. Uh, I think it was a dad and he was saying, I noticed my daughter is put on a lot of weight. What should I say or what should I do? <laughs> and people were like, you know, coming up with these, like, oh, maybe ask this. And the best comments were like, don't say anything. <laughs> like, uh, not a freaking word. Keep your mouth shut. Because creating this culture where we think it's okay to comment on other people's bodies, even our own children. Yes, I know we made them, they're ours, whatever, but they are their own little humans. Commenting on their bodies gives them this sense of, I would say, loss of autonomy in that someone else has a right to make comments, make suggestions about their bodies. And I want my kids to have full body autonomy. And that's down to the way you look, you know, the way you dress within reason, right? (laughs) Still a child. But I want them to have these choices for themselves. Like someone, I want to hug. No, my kid says they don't want to hug you. They don't have to hug you, right? Those things. I want them to have that autonomy in their bodies and not feel like that because their bodies have changed or because they they maybe they're looking different or they're, you know, they're growing up. Their bodies are always changing that people have some have to say something about it. That creates a self-conscious attitude in them. And I know that from personal experience. I was 11 when I started going through puberty or 10. My body started changing drastically. And almost every adult in my life thought that they could just comment on it. And I don't want to talk about how big my butt has gotten or, you know, like it's weird. Right. <laughs> so it's really it starts with. One of the best tips, I think, is to shut up. Like, don't talk about their bodies. <laughs> don't talk about other people's bodies. You know, get to a space where speaking on other people's bodies is forbidden and rude and completely unnecessary. Why? Because our bodies are the least important, at least interesting things about ourselves. <laughs> and two, your comments do not help. Even like complimentary comments, like, oh my gosh, you lost so much weight. You look so good. Someone said that to my daughter. And I'm like, she is 11. She is not on a weight loss journey, nor should she ever be. Don't comment on her body because if the next time you see her, she is 
larger and you don't have that compliment to give, how is that going to impact her? And I've lived that as well. So it's really sometimes it's just shutting up, like not commenting on people's bodies. Um, also, you know, engaging in these conversations where kids can understand like, OK, bodies are supposed to be different. I talk to my kids like body size and composition is just like height. You see how short mommy is? I'm four eleven and three quarters. Your dad is six, two and a half. We're very different body types. And that is beautiful. That is, we were not all created to be the same or look the same. That's a wonderful thing. So body diversity, having that conversation early is so powerful and impactful for children. And when they see it, when they engage with a child whose body is very different from theirs, they're not like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Because nothing's wrong with them. This is just the way they look. So encouraging body diversity, stop talking about other people's bodies, stop saying negative things about your bodies. Don't comment on their bodies <laughs> and, and just being an example of what it means to be inclusive um, in how you engage with people and not judgmental and not, you know, using body aesthetic. There's so many things we could say about people. You look great today. You're glowing. You look so happy. You're so smart. We don't have to comment on their bodies like we just don't have to, you know, so hope there were some tips in there. <laughs> It's so good. And I brought that one, um, I brought that one into mm. my world. Um, and, and it was a hard one, um, because this, I think if you grew up in a family where this was of such importance, mm -hmm. it is, I mean, right when we see each other, it's like, oh, you look good. Have you lost weight? And it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, what, what are those? And, and yeah. And, um, and I had to, for my own, I, no right. one else needs to change, right? And this is hard, hard change, and it's a hard habit to break. Um, and just because I'm on this journey doesn't mean I don't think these mm -hmm. thoughts. And I want to say Very that important. out loud for everybody, okay? Um, it, because this is 40 years mm -hmm. of conditioning, and just because my mind is on a different path now. The world hasn't changed. Those money-making industries that Dr. Lisa talked about, Lots they're still making money, okay? But I did. <laughs> I had said to <laughs> I had said, and and yes. it's actually getting more confusing because everything is under the guise now of wellness yeah. and health. And so we it, it makes it hard sometimes to believe all this wonderful <laughs> wisdom that Dr. Lisa is giving us. But I had said to my mom of I I, I want to not talk about. Yeah. body size and weight anymore. It's just something that I want to do. And this is still a journey. Um, but, uh, you know, as I, the further down the road Absolutely. I go, the easier it gets. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where I started with that one, but such goodness here. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> let's just stop talking. And, you know, in the most poetic of ways, we're just going to shut up. Um, so, so I guess this is then a bit of a, tricky question that I had posed for you of how mm -hmm. we can foster healthy habits yeah. in our house. Um, and how, how would we do that from a, mm -hmm. a food perspective? I think you gave us great tips from a body image perspective, yeah. but run with this question how you will. How do we foster so healthy habits? You, you said it earlier, right? With like how confusing things get, because here's the reality. Again, those diet culture marketers are brilliant. And they have co-opted some of the very healthy advice from wellness, you know, and 
anti-diet and health at every size sort of um, paradigm. Um, and the, the idea is to muddle the water <laughs> so that it's not clear what you should and shouldn't engage in. And so I'm going to recommend two books that I think are life changing as it relates to making healthy. And I'm doing air quotes because healthy is different for every person. I believe in consuming gluten and carbohydrates. I know it's my body's primary source, preferred source of energy. But if you have celiac disease, gluten and carbohydrates are not good for you. <laughs> so recognizing the individuality that exists in healthy and stop making it this one term, like one, one thing fits all, like everybody eat like this and we'll all look like that. It's just stupid. We have to get away from that, right? So fostering healthy habits from an individual perspective is, is a great idea. But you have to be mindful that when you're trying to foster these healthy habits, you're not creating an environment of restriction for you or for your children. I started raising my children this way. They didn't have any junk food in the house. Junk food. I'm also air quoting that because I was so sick with my relationship with food and my body. Um, but I have since changed. And now I buy Oreos. I buy chips because they need to have access to these foods in order to make their own healthy decisions about food. So the best advice I can give is for as, a, as an adult to read the, the book Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. It comes with you can get it with the workbook and do the process. You have to learn how to become an intuitive eater. And then once you have figured that out for yourself, Sumner Brooks co-authored a book that I love and it's called How to Raise an Intuitive Eater. So it's basically applying those principles to raising your children. There is going to be some information and advice in there that is very contradictory to what we think raising healthy kids is. And I'm just going to put that out there. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's 100 percent worth it. I mean, because she talks about things like not using food as rewards. I mean, who doesn't do that when you have kids? <laughs> like, listen, I I'm, get it. I'm That's covering my face. Out and they respond. Um, it, she talks about things like this whole clean plate mentality, how we grew up. There are ch starving children in other countries. Eat everything on your plate. I did that to my kids when they were little, you know. And And she talks about not making dessert this special treat. You have to eat so much of this plate to to get to that. Is serving them together. Like what? It was like revolutionary and scary AF to even consider giving my kids dessert during dinner. And I still, I still struggle with it. And I've read the book and I know all the information and the science behind it. So I say all that to say the way we foster healthy habits is by giving kids exposure to as many variety of foods as possible, being an example of exposure to those foods and not exposing them to restriction. So not saying, oh, you can only have this if you have that. Okay, only one, only one. <laughs> now it's one thing to encourage them to go within. Like I try to encourage my kids like, okay, before you eat that, just take an assessment. Are you hungry? Do you want that? Because you know, a couple of days ago you had a lot and you got sick and threw up and you remember that that was not a Good feeling. But even with that, not associating that with shame, because that is a part of how children learn. They're going to overstuff themselves sometimes and freaking throw up. <laughs> We're creating connections, right? So now they know like, oh, that was maybe too much. <laughs> you know, maybe I won't have as many, but they have to figure it out on their own. And you have to sort of be a quiet guide along their road to food freedom and good health. The reality is, even if your kid has a week 
and I'm going to say this, this is extreme, a week of minimal vegetables and lots of processed foods. It is not in the long term going to make them super unhealthy children. It's just not. Kids in general, research shows they get what they need. <laughs> like, even though like, oh, my God, he didn't have a vegetable today. Over the course of their life, over the course of the month, they're going to get what they need. And so we have to put less pressure on ourselves and less pressure on our children to have this super duper healthy, balanced, know this, know that, no process, because you're going to drive yourself insane and you're going to create this restriction within them. So buy the snacks, but buy the fruits, but buy the vegetables, have the foods. Don't put pressure on them to eat certain food groups because you know what kids do. They're rebels. They're going to, I don't want that now. (laughs) And don't force them to eat things that they genuinely do not like the taste of. Nobody should be tortured and put through that. You as an adult, you know, outside of, you know, maybe engaging in some disordered behaviors or just trying to be nice because you don't want to tell someone something's nasty. You don't typically eat things that don't taste good to you. (laughs) And all of our taste buds are different and everybody's taste buds change over the course of our lives. So don't force feed kids. Don't make them clean plates. Don't give them, you know, treats as rewards or food, use food as a reward. And, you know, try to give them more exposure to more different types of foods so that they have, you know, options. And it's hard. Like I, I won't even pretend, especially the options piece. Cause I'm like, I grew up in the house. This is what I cook. You're not eating it. You're going to bed hungry or you're going to sit there till you do eat it. <laughs> it's like That's how I was raised. I try not to raise my children like that. I do encourage them. Hey, make sure you get enough to eat because we're going to be out for a few hours or make sure you get enough to eat. Cause then it's going to be bedtime. And I don't want you waking up in the middle of the night hungry, but Pushing them in ways where, again, it's breeding restriction is not is not going to help. And then getting rid of the terms. This is good. This is bad. Junk. I don't use junk food in my house anymore. It's treats. You want a treat? Because, yes, a a, a salad is going to give you more nutritionally dense ingredients than a candy bar. But they are both just food and both just energy. If we're out starving in the desert, I'm probably going to take the candy bar (laughs) because because of that quick energy fix. Right. So just recognizing that food is not moral, health is not moral, weight is not moral. It's just food. It's all we have to neutralize these things so we can stop putting good and bad. Because if you eat a lot of bad foods, then what does that mean about you? You're bad. We don't want that for ourselves or for our kids. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> no, it's so good. And and yeah, and you covered everything because I had said, I had said, Dr. Lisa, a, a friend of mine this weekend, we were talking about this exact topic. And she said, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, again, similar journey. My kid's <sighs> teacher told her that fries are bad and salad is good. And, and then it's such a short journey to follow the breadcrumbs of that thought I'm of, bad. Mm-hmm. well, but then if I want the fries, I'm bad. And, and that's just the opposite of what we want yeah. because, and, and it goes to what you started with health. Mm-hmm. When we talk about health, yeah, it's up here. It's all through. So if, even if we are, yeah. you know, healthy body, if our mind is always feeling shame that and guilt and bad, Absolutely. that is not health. Health is holistic. Um, I'm going to throw you one last, uh, mm-hmm. one last one that came to me. That's a, a off the script of, do you think any of this messaging, because we've talked about, you know, yeah. I, as you're talking, I'm thinking a lot about young kids, but any specific message you have yeah. for for our teens who are probably listening to mm-hmm. mom a, a lot less? Um, I think actually, I'm I'm going to just jump in here. I think the best thing you said is she's, she Everything. might not be listening to you, but she's watching you. Um, so 
we we can lead by example, but any specific message to to our yeah. teens that are it's you know, tough. I have a in the thick of it now, um, and believe it or not, even though mom does this work, she has fallen you know into some of these things, and we've had to work our way through them. Um, and I think I think it's up to about age ten where we stop becoming their biggest influences, so they start getting you know more opinions from friends and and you know pop culture and social media and things. So. Um, this is a crucial time that those teenage years. Um, so what I wish I knew as a teen, this is what I'll share with um, any of the teens that might be listening. If you could just grasp this understanding right now that nothing is forever, your body is supposed to change. It has to change literally um, as you get older, if you're engaging in sports or if you're not if your hormones are changing, if you have to be on medication or you get sick or, you know, you get older and you have babies, your body is supposed to change. It is never supposed to stay the same. So if you can do what is within your power today to not get too hooked on a specific aesthetic, (laughs) you will do yourself justice as you age and as your body changes, as you go off to college and as things happen, because what happens for many of us, we get stuck in this idea that like, oh, that 18 year old body, that was the perfect body. Even though when you were 18, you probably didn't think it was perfect at all. You were probably doing everything in your power to change it. But when you're 25, 30, 40, and you look back, you're like, whoo, she was perfect. Uh, Right. Understand that (laughs) your mind is going to change. Your body's going to change. And you are far more valuable, valuable than what your body looks like. And because I feel like our these this next generation of kids are smarter, more woke, if you will, and, and more hip to like really what's happening in the world. Think about it this way. By engaging in activities that, you know, make you feel more desirable and beautiful, you know, for other people. We're playing into the patriarchy, right? <laughs> Especially when I'm talking about teenage girls. We're playing into this idea that my looks are for the benefit of others. I need to be more desirable, thinner, you know, taller, mm. different, you know, body parts in certain, like falling and feeding into that is just padding the patriarchy and this idea that you exist for the benefit of being desired by other people, by men or by other people. And so the sooner you can break free from that, <laughs> the, the, the more mental anguish you will save yourself by understanding that you exist in many forms. And this body, I like to call it your meat suit. <laughs> it's just what you got <laughs> to carry you through this world. It is not the end all be all of you. You are so much more valuable than your body and it's going to change. And that is a good thing. And, and having a different body than your best friend or your sister or your aunt or mom is a beautiful thing because body diversity is great. Just like diversity in all areas is great. We learn and get more from each other when we're different. And so you don't need to be like everybody else. So, you know, hopefully that'll help someone because if I was, when I was a teenager, I needed to hear that for sure. It would have saved me a lot of energy and time trying to manipulate my body and look like someone else. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Lisa, anything else you want to add as we close out the show today? I mean, this is just a wealth of knowledge. we got some great resources and books that we can tap into. In addition to before we close out, um, I want to be sure everyone knows that all of Lisa, I mean, you want to, you want to learn how to joyfully move your body. You want this message on repeat. 
you must follow Lisa at Healthy Fit. That's a PH. Um, but all those uh, all those notes will be in the show notes as well as her website. Thank you. Uh, Healthy Fit PH <laughs> Fit PH IT dot com. But Dr. Lisa, anything else as we close out? Any message or well, thank you. final no, words of wisdom? Myself. You've got and so I, much. You know, I love talking about this stuff. Um, so if I could leave you with anything, it would be you know what we've kind of commented on already is that you are more than a body and your body is valuable and your body is carrying you through so many things. And if you don't believe in affirmations, they are really powerful. And I suggest you get some as it relates to your body image and share them with your daughters, your sons, because, you know, the things that we say, if we say them enough and we hear them enough, we start to believe them and we start to walk in those beliefs. And it's really great to have that armor built up when we go out into this world that's going to try to tell us that we're not worthy and that we need to look like this or we need to do that. Um, so definitely get yourself some affirmations related to body image um, and, you know, just your health and wellness journey overall. But love this topic. Thank you for having me. Yep, definitely. Follow- I live on Instagram, so follow me there at Healthy Fit. Um, you can check out my website. I do individual one-on-one coaching and small groups. Uh, I just finished a small group. We'll start another one in August, but I love to help people re-engage with movement. I love to help people establish healthier, uh, healthier body image and a better relationship with their bodies. And uh, I like to help people who are navigating the very tough terrain of being in recovery from eating disorders um, from a physical aspect. That's, that's what I can help with. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's such good stuff. Dr. Lisa, here's how I want you to close out the show, because all my clients will be like, oh, Leslie makes us do mirror mantras all the time. Uh, can you give us a, an affirmation to Absolutely. set someone on their journey? I like as we this one. Close out? Um, perfection does not exist, but I do. And just remember that it doesn't even, it's not even there. Like it's just an imaginary carrot and we chase it for no reason. It doesn't exist, but you do. So live here, take care of you. Couldn't think of a better way to end. My friends, why didn't they tell us that your body is... Yes exactly as it should be. And the way you look Mm -hmm. is the least important thing about you. Your gifts, your essence, your unique wonder that you bring into the world has nothing to do with the size or shape of your body. Just be you. Thank you, Dr. Lisa. (laughs) Thank you so much. Till next time, my friends. Hey moms, if you're looking for some tips to help your teen daughter cultivate confidence, I've got you. Uh, Click the link in show notes for my free guide, Six Simple Steps to Help Your Teen Cultivate Self-Confidence. You can also find additional resources on my website at confidencecoachforgirls.com. That's confidencecoachforgirls.com. You got this, mama. I got you always. Love what you hear? Well, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at confidencecoachforgirls.com. That's confidencecoachforgirls.com. Or email me at lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. That's lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you.